we are starting a brand new series out of the book of Acts. Now let me just tell you that uh, this is a brand new service series, but it's going to feel very much like the continuation of where we have already been. But we'll get into that in just a moment. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. Like I was saying, it, it picks up right where the Gospels leave off. The Gospels leave off at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts picks up right from there. Now, we have been working our way through John's Gospel these past few months. And the Gospel of John, as well as the other three Gospels that accompany it, they harmonize beautifully the story of Jesus that begins with his birth and goes all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. But how many of you here tonight know that the story of Jesus does not end at the resurrection? It doesn't end at the completion of the four Gospels. No, the story of Jesus continues on, and the next phase of what the Lord is doing in the world and the advancement of his purposes begins to unfold in the book of Acts. It's where these disciples, Jesus' closest friends, with the help of the Holy Spirit, they're going to take this message of salvation through Jesus Christ, we call the good news, and they're going to talk about it with anybody who would listen to them. Very quickly, we learn how this very small group of true believers in Jesus will grow and the good news will spread, the church will be born, thousands and thousands of people will believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and be saved. That's the book of Acts. And if you haven't done so already, would you go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Acts? And, and if you've already got John marked because you've been in this series with us for a while, Acts will be really easy for you to find. Just find John, the very last, book of, the very last page of John. Flip over one page and you're in Acts, okay? So John goes right into Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to be moving through the book of Acts in a very similar fashion as we did for John's gospel. And what I mean by that is we're not going to be reading every verse in the book of Acts together. There are going to be parts of the book of Acts that get more attention than other parts. And that doesn't mean the other parts are not important. But I'm going to trust, just like I did with John's gospel, that you are going to be reading this on your own. So let me stress again, just like you did in the last series, be reading on your own. Make it a daily habit of yours, and Acts is a good place for you to read. Here's how I'd encourage you to go about doing it. Sometime this week, sit down, carve out an hour, hour and a half, grab your cup of coffee or whatever you like to do, and try to read the entire book of Acts all in one setting. Now, the reason why that's important is because it will give you a feel and a flow to how this all comes together. And it's going to help you connect the dots. Then when we come back and hit it, kind of chapter by chapter through this series, it's going to make a lot of sense to you. I'd also encourage you that, uh, that as we go through this together... Read a couple chapters ahead each week and come in prepared. Find out, you know, where we leave off the week before and start reading from there. Read forward a couple chapters and come in here every weekend ready to learn. I think your time will be greatly enriched, our time together, if you'll just be reading the book of Acts. So please go ahead and open, if you haven't done so, to Acts um, today. And we're going to start there. Um, now, if you got Acts open, you've probably got the last page of John's Gospel open. And you've got the first page of Acts open on your lap. If your Bible unfolds like a lot of Bibles, that's what you're looking at. John on the left, 
Acts on the right. And what you'll notice is if you look back in John's gospel at the very end, we learned in those last two chapters is that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He also appeared to his disciples. And uh, that later that night, he appeared to all of his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. A week later, Thomas was. Thomas had trouble with belief, but once he saw Jesus, he believed. And, and, and the Bible also tells us that, that uh, later, Jesus and Peter have this special moment where Peter sees the risen Lord on the shore, and he jumps in, he swims to Jesus. And they have this special moment where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I do. And he asked him a second time, do you love me? Yes, I do. And he asked him a third time, he's like, yes, I love you. And, and, and Jesus and Peter have this moment where they come together. And I believe that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him to combat the three times he denied him a few weeks earlier. It's that moment where Peter, your, your Bible may even have a title where it says in that chapter, Jesus reinstates Peter. All that means is Jesus and Peter are kind of, we're good again. I denied you, but I know that you, that I, you, know I love you. So we have these moments. We also know from the Gospels and the New Testament that Jesus walked the earth for about 40 days after he rose from the grave. And he had different appearings. And at one time, he appeared to over 500 people at once. 500 people saw Jesus all at the same time. There was no denying that he had risen from the dead. So the book of Acts, it picks up in those final moments of Jesus' time on earth after his resurrection and then the advancement of the church. That, that's, so, that's what it's all about. But it picks up right there as Jesus is about to say goodbye. So here's how Acts chapter 1 begins. Let's read it together. We're going to start in verse 1. And it just starts like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, before we start to unpack that too far, let me just give you a couple details that will help you understand what Acts is all about and why it was written. We know that the author of the book of Acts was a man named Luke. Luke was a Christian man, and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Now, Luke, he makes a reference that in my former book, or in my previous writings, what in the world is he talking about? Well, we know that he is referring to the gospel that he wrote. The Gospel of Luke. Now remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. We just got done studying through John. There's three other people that told the story of Jesus. Luke is one of them. Luke also wrote Acts. And he says in my former book, he's talking about his Gospel. And he says that uh, he addresses it to a guy named Theophilus. Well, Theophilus, if you were to go back and look at Luke chapter 1, Luke addresses it to the same person. So Luke and Acts are addressed to this guy named Theophilus. And I'm going to be honest with you. We don't know a lot about Theophilus. We don't know who he was. Many speculate that he was most likely a Christian man. And if he wasn't a Christian man, he could have very easily have been a seeker who was curious about Jesus. 
The word Theophilus, that name, literally means friend of God. Sometimes, or some people have maybe argued that Theophilus wasn't a person at all. Maybe he was a code word for the church, for Christians, friends of God. We don't know for sure. But whoever Theophilus was, I certainly hope that these letters that Paul sent him about the life of Jesus and about the advancement of the church was enough for him to live up to his name. And he truly did one day become a friend of God. Understand this, that the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are meant to go together. I think it might have made more sense if the Bible was arranged like this. Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts. Because those two go together. Think about it like this. Luke is a volume one. Acts is a volume two. Luke and Acts go together. And if we look at it like that, I think you'll, you'll understand how these two books flow together quite nicely. Luke ends with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he picks up volume two, talking about Jesus' ascension and the explosion of the church. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this, but there are some important details at the end of Luke that help us understand Acts a little bit better. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to show you some scripture behind me on the screens from the end of Luke's gospel. At the end of Luke's gospel, it says this, that after Jesus rose from the dead and he's appearing to his disciples after the resurrection... That in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, Jesus did something for the disciples, very specific. It says this, that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, then you might recall why that's an important detail. Because when we were studying John, John makes a reference to that moment he was standing at the empty tomb with Peter. Do you remember this? And he looked, he's trying to understand what he's looking at, the, the strips of linen, and the body was gone. And he makes this admission. He says, at that time, I didn't understand how all of this fit with the scriptures. He said, I didn't understand. He, all he had was the Old Testament. He didn't understand the prophecies and what God was doing through Israel and the sacrifices. He didn't understand. But now, a few days later, Jesus is resurrected, and he's spending time, and Luke says, during this season, that Jesus begins to help them understand all the scriptures. It's starting to connect the dots. For, that was one of the things Jesus did after his resurrection. I'm going to open your minds, and I'm going to help you understand how all of this fits together. That's some important information for them to know, don't you think, as they're about to launch forward with the good news of Jesus. How does this fit with scripture? And then he keeps on saying, he told them at the end of Luke's gospel, this is what was, is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That, essentially, is how the Gospel of Luke ends. So Volume 1 ends, and Volume 2, Acts, begins. And as he begins, Luke shares that there's 40 days that, that Jesus walked the earth. And as he did, he gave his disciples and others many convincing proofs. That's what we read there at the beginning of Acts. Many convincing proofs proofs that he was alive but it doesn't really explain what these proofs were what are many convincing proofs 
Now, we do know this from the Gospels, that when Jesus met with his disciples, he allowed them to what? He allowed them to touch his body, to touch his nail-pierced hands, to touch his side. Jesus allowed him to... We know that Jesus ate with his disciples. We know that there's things. You know what? Dead people don't eat, do they? Ghost, last time I checked, don't eat, do they? Then Jesus ate with them, drank with them. There's all these things. Now, not just that, but... But Luke tells us that he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive, that he had resurrected from the dead. And what we need to understand today, and why this is so important, is that it is imperative. It was absolutely imperative that there be absolutely no doubts that Jesus had risen from the dead. If they had any doubts, if these disciples and these early believers had any doubts that Jesus actually rose from the dead and is alive today, if they were not convinced, then the church would have never started. It would have never started. So Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. And these early believers, all who were alive when Jesus was, they saw the resurrected Christ and they believed. And I'm just going to, I can't underscore that enough. That right there, seeing Jesus come back from the dead was the convincing proof. That was the confidence that their faith needed. That confidence in the resurrection would be so important with the launch of the church. Everything was riding on the fact that these early believers were convinced. And what we're going to see from this point forward, from the book of Acts chapter 1, through the rest of the New Testament, through the rest of time, all the way to us today, the, that everything is resting on the resurrection. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the church. So Jesus gave them many convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. You know the message of the gospel, if you don't know this today, I want you to be very clear on it. The message of the gospel completely centers on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Completely. And if Jesus were dead, the church would be speechless. If Jesus were dead, the church would have nothing to say. Essentially, the church would be dead. I think about the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead, and they circulated this lie that Jesus' disciples had stolen the body from the tomb. That was a lie that was circulating in this day, and these believers had to be able to refute this lie. And they refuted it because they were convinced, because they were convinced, because why? Because they had seen Jesus. This lie is not true. It's completely a lie. It's false. Why? Because I have eaten with Jesus. I have walked with him. I've seen him after the grave. They had to be able to refute this. Everything, my friends, is riding on that. So he appeared to them. He gave them proof that he was alive. And, and Luke tells us in the very opening verses that while he was with people... He talked about the kingdom of God. Do you see it there in verse 3? This is what Jesus spoke to him about, the kingdom 
of God. Do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, there was confusion about the kingdom of God, wasn't there? Pilate asked him, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Do you have a kingdom? There was all this conversation. And do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not like your kingdom. You're thinking soldiers and land and all this stuff. Jesus said, listen, if my kingdom was like your kingdom, my people would be busting down the walls to get me out of here. But my kingdom is not like your kingdom. Jesus continues to clarify what his kingdom is is really all about after he rose from the dead let there be no confusion so he talks to them I'm gonna prove that I'm alive I'm gonna to talk to you about the kingdom of God what does he mean when he says the kingdom of God how are we to understand that the kingdom of God is the reign of God over your life over our lives that we for those who trust him that's the kingdom of God think back to what Jesus said Way back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, very famous part of the Bible. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom. Remember this verse? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. What was Jesus really saying that people didn't quite understand yet? The top priority is the Lord. His reign in your life. His leadership over you. His authority. You look to him as the leader. That is seeking him first. That's his kingdom. He's the leader of your life. Paul would later say it like this in the book of Romans. He said, verse, in chapter 14, verse 17, he says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what the apostle Paul is acknowledging? What he has learned about God's kingdom? That it's not a physical thing. God's kingdom is not about food or drink. It's nothing physical. It's a spiritual thing. That God's kingdom is about righteousness. Our righteousness before God. Our living a holy life to our king. It's about peace. It's about having the peace of God that reigns supreme in our life. That no matter what, I'm in God's hands and he's got me. It's about joy. It's that joy that surpasses all understanding that, that I follow the Lord. He is my king. He is my leader. And I'm going to consider it pure joy, like James says, whenever trials and tribulations come into my life. Because I know God's doing something. So Paul tells us this kingdom of God is about the reign of God over the hearts and lives of those who really trust him. So Jesus said, I'm going to prove to all of you that I'm alive. I'm going to talk to you about God's real kingdom here. That's what they talked a lot about. So I believe these disciples would have walked away from that understanding that we are to believe in the resurrection and that we are to let the Lord reign in our lives. I kind of say the same thing, but I, I, I say it like this. That trust in the Lord with all of your heart and let the Lord be your leader. That's how I say the same thing. I wonder, how refreshing must it have been for those disciples to interact with Jesus after he came out of the tomb during those 40 days, whenever Jesus would appear to them and eat with them and talk to them. I mean, I think that those 40 days had to have been some of the most rewarding, refreshing days of Jesus' entire ministry with them. Now, now look at verse 4. Let's keep going. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. The resurrected Christ speaking with the disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives him a very clear instruction. What is it? Do not leave the city. Don't spread out. Don't take off. Don't go on vacation. You guys stay put in the city. That's a pretty clear command. And he says, wait for this gift. And this is something that the Lord has already talked to them about. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then Jesus brings up something that John the Baptist said way before the start of Jesus' own ministry. He takes them back in time a couple years. You don't need to turn there, but Jesus is referring to what happened in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, when John the Baptist came baptizing people for the repentance of their sins before Jesus came. And John says this. It's a prophecy. Verse 11, he goes, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's talking about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is a prophecy given by John the Baptist that's about to be fulfilled in the next few days. The Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus spoke about this. We talked about it. Um, spent a whole sermon talking about this. Remember the conversation in the upper room the same night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet? They had the Last Supper. Judas is called out as the betrayer. That very night, Jesus tells the disciples, I am going to have to leave. And they were very sad about this. And Jesus is going to comfort his disciples. And do you remember what he said to them? We spent a whole sermon on it. He goes, I've got to go. But I'm not going to leave you alone. You are not going to be fatherless. You are not going to be abandoned. He says, the Lord will send you a helper. This helper would be the Holy Spirit. Jesus names him the Holy Spirit that very night. That he would be with them and would live in them. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit would teach them new things. And he would remind the disciples of everything that Jesus ever said. He would be a true partner in this ministry. This Holy Spirit would guide them. And then Jesus lets them know that uh, the Holy Spirit will not come until I leave. All of that that Jesus is talking about is coming to fruition right now. John prophesied about it. Jesus includes them on what's about to happen. And he says, I've told you about these things. Now look, jump down to verse 8. Key verse in the whole book of Acts right here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you're somebody that likes to write or underline stuff in your Bibles, but if you are, I would like for you to underline or star Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Because like I was saying, this is like, the, like one of the key verses in the entire book of Acts. It sets the stage for what this is all about. For starters, here's what it tells us. That the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit and not from man. The power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit, not from man. That was true back then, and it is still true today. The power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit, not from man. We're going to see this all throughout the book of Acts. 
as the good news begins to spread and the church continues to grow, we're going to see ordinary people do some extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is not some wonderful tag-along helper with what the disciples are doing. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity to the church's existence and growth. You know, New Life Christian Church today would be nothing without the Holy Spirit. And what I just said is going to make a whole lot more sense the more we learn and the deeper we go into the book of Acts. You will see that. The New Life Christian Church will be nothing without the Holy Spirit. So it's also a key verse. Verse 8 is also a key verse because we as disciples learn the true nature of our universal role in God's kingdom. We learn what we're supposed to do as Christians. We are to be a witness. That's the word used in Acts 1.8. We are to be a, a witness. That was true back then, and it is still true today. Jesus said specifically to his disciples, you will be my witness. A, a witness is uh, somebody who simply recalls or tells what they have seen and what they have heard. Probably for us today, the most modern application of the word witness would be uh, a witness in a court of law. And you think about somebody who takes the stand, in that moment, the judge is not interested in their opinions. The judge wants to know, what did you see? What did you hear? And as witnesses for Jesus, it is our job to share what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced about Jesus. We're to give a testimony about the power of the Lord. Little little fun fact for you here that uh, the English word martyr, you know, somebody who gives their life for a cause, a martyr. That our English word martyr comes from the Greek word that gets translated as witness. Did you know that? So if you think about that, many of God's people over the years and even to this day have sealed their witness for the Lord by the laying down of their lives. You know, here at New Life, we're very open about our mission. And our mission is to evangelize the lost. And I hope you know that that is the number one reason for why we are aiming and we are investing out, by, out west by the bypass to build another campus here in a couple of years so that we can reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. That's our mission, to evangelize the lost, to seek and to save the lost. And I... I, I think about our church family, and I think about people I've interacted with over the years. Uh, there are some people, and you know who they are because we've all interacted with them, they just have a knack for sharing their faith. Do you know people like that? They just have a knack for it. It comes easy for them. There are people I've discovered, every church I've ever served has had them. There are people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism. If you ever meet somebody like that, you know it when you see it. You know, it's a special gifting. From the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to look at it. That person 
as a gift of evangelism. They can talk about Jesus with anybody at any time in any situation, and they've got the right words at the right time, and they lead people to Jesus all the time. That's a, that's a gifting of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody has that. While it's true that some have this special gifting and others just have a knack for evangelism, what is true for all of us that don't have those things is this, that every single one of us who is a true believer in Jesus is called and commissioned to be a faithful witness for the Lord. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what Jesus has done for me, and I think it would be wise of you to consider it for your life and to put your trust and your hope in him. And I believe that's something that every single Christian can do. You do not have to have the gift of evangelism to be a witness and to say, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard, this is what I've experienced, and this is why I think you should follow Jesus too, as God gives us those opportunities. Every single one of us are called to bear witness by our very lives. The way that we live our lives and the way that we stand up for righteousness and purity is a witness to others. They will see Jesus in you by the way that you live your life. It speaks volumes about who we trust. And that's part of your witness. You know, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is also a key verse because in it we learn this, that the good news of Jesus Christ must constantly be spreading. That was true back then, and it is still true today. He said that Jesus said to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And in that we find basically the structure of the entire book of Acts. Jesus says, you're going to first be my witnesses in Jerusalem. The book of Acts teaches us that the church was born in Jerusalem. These early followers were Jewish people who had decided to follow Christ. And so the first seven chapters of the book of Acts is all about the rise of the church in Jerusalem. But then, because of persecution, we read that in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the church spreads to Judea and Samaria. And then chapter 10, all the way through chapter 28 is the gospel spreading out from there all the way to the known ends of the earth. And we today are still a part of that very work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now our immediate mission field, and I hope you're all on the same page here, our immediate mission field is Bella Vista. God has placed us in this field to work this land. That's our calling. That's why we are here. The last time I checked, there's some 30,000 people right here in Bella Vista. And I know that they don't know all Je they all don't know Jesus. This is our field. But that doesn't mean that we don't also look up at other fields. And as we have opportunity, sow good seed into those fields. Sow the good word of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that our church partners with organizations all over America and the world to spread the good news. When Taylor came out here, he told you tonight about the ACPN, which is an Arkansas church planning network that we help support and have worked with them and partnered with them to start new churches right here in Northwest Arkansas and throughout our state. The work of spreading the good news continues on to this very day. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 sets the stage for everything that we're going to read about in the book of Acts 
The good news of Jesus that we are all witnesses of is constantly spreading and expanding to the lost. Now, real quickly, let's read on a few more verses. Here's what happens next. If you look at verse 9, it says, As after Jesus had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. While they, they were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And just like that, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus' earthly ministry is over. Just like that. More specifically, his purpose for coming to earth, the purpose for God becoming a man and walking among his creation, the purpose for that is over. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. Mission accomplished. And it's time for Jesus to leave. Jesus paid the price, atoned for the sins of all mankind, becoming that once and for all sacrifice. And in doing so, he opened heaven's doors to anyone who would want to believe it, to go to heaven and to be with Jesus forever. And now it's time for his departure. And it's now time for the Holy Spirit to come. Remember Jesus said, the Holy Spirit won't come until I leave. So here's him leaving. It had to be an incredible moment. Jesus just talking with him. The Mount of Olives, and all of a sudden, he starts to float. Now, that was probably something they hadn't seen before. They've seen Jesus walk on water. They hadn't seen him float before. But let's be honest, this guy just came back from the dead. So does anything really surprise him anymore? And he begins to float. And he starts to float off into the sky, higher and higher and higher, until they can't see him anymore. Have you ever released a balloon up into the sky? Of course, all of us have. And don't you just stand there mesmerized as that thing just sails off into the distance? And don't you watch until you can't see it anymore? And, and if you've ever seen a balloon launch and you see hundreds of people just staring up at the sky like this, that's what the disciples were doing. Their last glimpses of Jesus as he goes off into the clouds and then he's gone. And while they're looking up, the Bible says these two men dressed in white shows up. The implication here is that these two men are messengers from God. They're, they're angels is who they are. And, and, and I believe that God sent these two angels in that moment to kind of snap the, the disciples back to reality. It's like, hey, down here, down to earth. Why are you guys looking up in the sky? You know, there had to have been a little, I mean, I would like to have been that angel. You know, <laughs> he's just coming down, he's like, Oh, man, they're not going to expect to see us. Hey, down here. And these two angels remind the disciples, what did Jesus say? He said, go and wait for the gift. And then they say, he's going to come back, you know. Just like you guys watched him go up into the sky, he's going to come back from the same sky just like you watched him leave. And friends, this... Is such an important detail right here at the beginning of the book of Acts because there's multiple times later these guys will write about the return of Christ. 
The Apostle Paul, I think, says it really well. There's plenty of places that talk about the return of Christ, but the Apostle Paul says this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Now listen to Paul's description based on the ascension. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Friends, the scripture is very clear in these angels. They remind the disciples of this. Jesus has spoken of it. They said, hey, the same way Jesus is leaving, you guys hang tight. He's going to come back the same way. And that truth right there should be a great motivator for each of us to live faithfully for the Lord. Because we don't know when that moment will come. We don't know when he's going to appear in the sky and take the church with him. And what is very clear in Scripture is that you have to be ready. There will be some who are and many who are not. And in that moment when Jesus comes, those who are not ready will not be saved ever. So this right here is an important little detail in the book of Acts. It should motivate each of us to live our lives with an understanding of God's kingdom, his reign and rule over our lives. To live in that kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy as we wait for the return of the Lord. Well, you don't need to turn over there, but in the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, he doesn't, Matthew, when he writes his gospel, he doesn't specifically mention the ascension of Jesus, but it's generally understood that the last few verses in Matthew happened at the ascension we can't prove it for sure but it was sometime around this that Jesus meets with his disciples so the Bible says in Matthew that they met on a mountain there's been some argument there we know Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives but so I'm assuming this is the mountain but Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 we're gonna end with this today Jesus came to his disciples and like I said generally it's understood this was at the ascension and he said to his disciples in that moment all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Those were the marching orders when Jesus left the earth. And what was true back then is still true today. I'm looking forward to going through Acts with all of you.